My guest today on the Positive Impact podcast is Bill Gassiamis. This is the second of two episodes I conducted with Bill, so make sure you check out the first to find out about his remarkable story. In this episode, we'll find out why minimising carbohydrate and sugars is essential in helping your brain to recover from a brain injury. How the medical community has never been so split over dietary advice than it is right now and why some doctors are conceding that the low-fat advice of the 80s didn't eradicate chronic diseases. In fact, it actually made the situation worse. We're also going to be finding out the fitness and lifestyle changes you can make to promote longevity over having a beach bod. In addition to this, we'll run through the FAST fast steps you should be aware of in case you suspect someone close to you is having a stroke. Right now is your time. Your time to make a difference. Your time to step up and into the life you always dreamed of. To confront your fears, make your move and unleash your true potential. The Positive Impacts Podcast with Joe Horton. Improve yourself, inspire others. Hello again, I'm Joe Horton and I'm the host of this podcast and the founder of the Positive Impact Movement. Positive Impact is a growing movement of people just like you that want to leave behind a life of negativity and embrace positive change in their lives. Our movement is growing week on week from strength to strength in helping you, the listener, to fully embrace positivity in all its forms. We're beginning to help grow positive people, relationships and communities in a world today which has become increasingly negative and polarised. The episodes we have coming up in the next few weeks will cover topics where we could all improve. My guests will present you with some great free resources that you can take away and apply immediately to positively impact areas of your own life. Topics like developing yourself as an entrepreneur, learning, meditation and journaling. I'll also be speaking with guests about some of the more difficult aspects that life throws at us. In covering these more difficult subjects, we'll uncover how you can use them as opportunities for growth and discovery in your own life. We show you how to use life's adversities to grow, learn and inspire. The world's top experts I feature on Positive Impact are hand-picked to deliver maximum impact so you can make some amazing improvements to your own life and inspire others around you to do the same. We're interviewing psychologists, neurosurgeons, thought leaders, entrepreneurs and best-selling authors. Pretty much anyone that can help you, the listener, to be inspired and reach your true potential, we will bring onto the podcast. My dream is for Positive Impact to be the, the number one personal growth podcast in the world. And I invite you to join me on this journey. My guest today is Bill Gassiamis. Bill Gassiamis is the founder of the Recovery After Stroke community, which is a resource for stroke survivors and their carers. He also hosts the Recovery After Stroke podcast. He was inspired to set up the Recovery After Stroke community because of the lack of support for stroke survivors when they leave hospital, having sustained a stroke. And also, Bill has personal experience of having had three strokes himself. 
Today, he provides personal coaching to stroke survivors and provides resources, support and a community to help those who have suffered a stroke. Bill had his first stroke at 37 years old, a brain hemorrhage, with a second brain hemorrhage a few weeks later. On the road to recovery, he then sustained a third stroke three years later, which necessitated surgery. However, in those intervening three years, Bill radically changed his lifestyle and life, which meant that when he had to undergo surgery, he was in the best shape he could possibly be. Not only is Bill's story astonishing in itself, but the fact that he recovered from brain surgery in half the time than his doctors predicted is testament to the extensive work Bill did on himself to change his mindset, belief systems and lifestyle. His curious nature and thirst for knowledge around the brain, mind-body connection and lifestyles of stroke victims makes him an excellent advocate for a more healthy, balanced and sustainable life. But they talk about you. I do uh, affirmations and visualization in the more in typically when I get up in the morning. And I've heard somebody say before that that when you work on your subconscious brain, when you give it a command, it goes to work on making that on making the thing happen that you want to happen. So in your case, it sounds like you were hundred percent convinced that you were going to make a full recovery come what may, and and that happened because you're yeah. because because you're because you're carrying your your brain is even in its kind of damaged state if you like has given a command to your body to right let's get going we're going to get this we're going to get ourselves fixed here sort of thing yeah so there's this thing called neuroplasticity it's the ability of the brain to rewire itself and create new pathways for pathways that were lost Neuroplasticity is considered a positive thing, but there's also negative neuroplasticity. And negative neuroplasticity is that thing that we do when a doctor with a bad bedside manner comes and says, you can't walk, you're probably not going to walk again. And then that person takes that information to heart and creates negative neural pathways to confirm that walking is never going to happen again. Kills the pathways for positive opportunities to walk, for positivity that you're going to walk, and starts to generate these other ones. It's a big topic now in the neuroscience community about how we motivate people to change. One of the people that I've interviewed, Dr. Michael Merzenich, is the leading scientist for neuroplasticity in the world. And he talks about how when we can influence people with the words that we use, we can influence ourselves with the way that we speak to ourselves and the types of things that we put in place. And if we happen to be uh, focusing on the negative, that is the result that we're going to get. So for me, uh, I couldn't afford not to walk. I don't want to not walk. Um, I want to drive. I want to do all those things. So since, I've, since I'm the only one in my way now, because the doctors, you know, they do what they do. They take stuff out. They patch you up. They send you home. They're not responsible for the other stuff. I'm responsible for that stuff. So since I realized 
that I've got in my way with business and I've got in my way with all these other things, well, I'm definitely not going to get in my way from walking again. So that's what I did. I implemented the strategies that created those new uh, pathways. Now, you said something really interesting, which was you visualize and you do, um, and you do uh, not, not, not mantras, you did something else. What was it? You affirmations. 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 Right. So for the first week and a half, I actually wasn't able to walk after surgery and I wasn't able to go into rehab. They weren't able to get me on my feet. Um, cause what they do is they assess you assessment takes ages. They're, they're, they they do not want to risk your, your falling or anything like that. So what I was doing, I was lying in bed at the hospital and I was imagining myself walk. So the same neural pathways that get fired up when you walk are actually getting fired up when you're imagining yourself walking. So by the time it came for me to walk, I had already done, I don't know, five days or seven days of walking in my mind so that it was not unfamiliar when I got on my feet for the first time. And all I was doing by actually walking was, and being supported by, you know, stirrups and all this kind of stuff was strengthening those pathways that I had already created. Mm. So that, that costs nothing, does nothing. It's easy to do. And I can do it from my bed and it has a massive implication on, you know, your long-term recovery. And did this doctors uh, teach you that skill or was that a skill you developed before you went in? Yeah, they don't teach you that. Um, they don't communicate that. They don't have enough time. Uh, so I did a whole bunch of research. I'm a problem solver, as you would be running a property maintenance business, you know. So for me, it was like, oh, okay, you know. What do I fix a hole in the wall with? Well, I get this, I get that, I get that, I get that. Well, well am I going to fix a hole in a blood vessel? Well, you know, I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll do this, I'll do that. So I researched and researched and researched and sought out the most amazing people in the world to learn from. And uh, I did that starting with, you know, that book that I mentioned earlier, Embraining, and then also all the other books that came from that, you know, Dr. Michael Merzenich, uh, Dr. Norman Deutsch, um, uh, uh, Jill Balti-Taylor, Professor Jill Balti-Taylor. Um, they're a few of the well-known ones, but then there's a whole bunch of stuff on the internet about how to uh, support yourself in recovery after a traumatic brain injury and how to overcome things. Nutrition was massive, mm-hmm. Joe, massive. You know, So for somebody recovering from a brain injury, they need to take carbs out of their diet because carbs are inflammatory to the brain, especially when it's healing. And when you eat a lot of carbs, it impacts um, your insulin in your body and insulin spikes cause inflammation in the brain and real problems for the brain and increased fatigue. Mm-hmm. So, so I had just, I had done, by the time I was out of surgery, I had done three years, you know, my degree pretty much on self-healing and overcoming this issue. It's giveaway time, listeners. Right now, I'm working on a short ebook which I'll be giving away completely free in the next few weeks to everyone on my mailing list. But to get it, you have to be on my mailing list as it will be exclusive content not available elsewhere. So you don't miss out on grabbing yourself a copy. Go to my website, www.positive, 
impact-movement.com and subscribe to the mailing list. That way, as soon as it comes out, you'll grab yourself a copy immediately. Not only that, but in the next few months, you will receive more exclusive free content by being part of the Positive Impact Movement community. So don't miss out. Sign up today at www.positive-impact-movement.com. One thing, one thing I was going to ask you, Bill, um, I'm just going to inter- interject there because yeah. this is something that's going to be quite, it's something that I encountered. When my, uh, my father, as you know, had a, fa- uh, well, he had two strokes, um, uh, which proved to be fatal. After that, I went along to the doctor and kind of said, well, what does this mean for me? And the doctor ran some blood tests and they said, oh, um, your cholesterol's on the high side. And they said, just all they said to me was, Go away and look at your diet. So you go away and look at um, the research. And so I come, I come across half the medical community saying you need to follow a Mediterranean low-fat diet. And then I stumbled by pure chance upon a website called Mark's Daily Apple, which is a uh, it's primal, so it's a kind of version. It's a kind of a hybrid of paleo, but essentially it's low carb um he doesn't actually call it high fat because it's it's actually low carb more than it's high fat um but there seems to be a kind of and we're di- I'm probably digressing here there's this, there seems to be a split occurring in the kind of medical community regarding heart disease um chronic illnesses and the the kind of conventional wisdom of low fat seems to be um being debunked more and more often at the moment but it's leaving everyone in a quandary because listening to this show will be probably listening to this podcast are going to be thinking well what do i do do i do i um mediterranean do i eat low fat do i eat vegan do i um go pescatarian and there is so much it's become so confusing now because so many doctors are kind of saying to patients, you need, to, you need to follow a low-fat diet, when in actual fact, a lot of the, how shall I say, put, how shall I put this? There are so many um, voices of opinions to, saying against, no, you don't want to do low-fat, actually, because the kind of, the links between fat and heart disease are kind of possibly a bit tenuous. I don't know what your, I'd, I'd be fascinated to hear what you think on it, Bill, because clearly you are a man man that's probably researched it more than most all right listeners i'm not a doctor okay so you can't take anything i say seriously or follow it no that's fair enough that's fair enough i'd like to know what your thoughts are on it though (laughs) however so so when when they say low carb in the in the in our you know facebook world what low carb actually means for me is no highly processed grains, flours, sugars, uh, and you know sugar and those types of things. So, what they do is um, flour doesn't have any nutritional benefits. It doesn't actually have any vitamins or minerals unless they fortify the bread with some junk. It's not where you go to get vitamin C. It shouldn't be where you go to get folate and all this kind of stuff. 
So what it does, it's a filler. It fills the gut, <clears throat> makes you feel full. But what it does, it spikes your insulin. When it spikes your insulin, um, that puts you into a stressed state because the body, the heart rate increases, the blood pressure increases, and the body goes into a fight or flight state, which is created artificially by the food that we ate. A fight or flight state is a high cortisol state. It's a state where you're having high cortisol in your body. And when you're doing that constantly, you're wearing out your adrenal glands quicker and you're increasing the, the acidity in your body and the negative chem and nobody quote me on the, the terminology, please. And you're increasing the acidity in your body and you're creating a state of inflammation in your blood vessels. You're creating that in your um, uh, organs. And what you're doing is you're allowing fat cells to proliferate and grow around those organs in your, in your muscles, etc. As the blood vessels get irritated by cortisol, by um, insulin, etc., what happens is cholesterol is sent to them to line the blood vessels on the inside to support them from this attack because, um, because these things are uh, damaging the collagen in the blood vessels and making them weaker so that they cannot expand and contract the way they need to as our blood pressure shifts and increases and decreases. Mm -hmm. So carbs essentially are a stimulant. And when you're stimulating yourself constantly, you get to this point where your body is working too hard all the time to break them down and get rid of the excess sugars that carbs are turned into out of the bloodstream and into the muscles. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're a runner, if you're a runner and you carb up before a run, that's okay because you're burning all of that energy that you've created because the insulin is sending it to the muscles and you're burning it and it's going away. So that's fine. But most of us are sedentary. Most of us sit down on our butts, you know, 16 hours a day and we don't burn it off. So avoid carbs. When you're recovering from a brain injury, that impact on the body is more visible. You notice it because you have these massive energy um, spikes and then these massive energy drops when the insulin gets rid of all of the excess energy from the bloodstream. So high fat shouldn't be high fat from your local McDonald's or your KFC or that kind of stuff. It should be um, very clean and very low processed oils like olive oil and um, avocados and fish oils that come from, you know, healthily grown fish that are wild caught. You eat a ton of fish. If you eat a ton of vegetable oil and you take out the carbs from your diet and you chuck in a whole bunch of vegetables and a little bit of protein, you're well on your way to being healthier than you've ever been and take out sodas or soft drinks as we call them in Australia and drink water because that's the only thing that God created for us to drink. He didn't create beer and all that kind of stuff. And we did, although they taste amazing. Um, so when you're going through this healing process, you've got to really remove all of the carbs out of your diet 
and eats carbs that come from fruit in small doses and vegetables. Eat your lentils. Eat all the things that you've, you know, always grown up with and loved eating, but don't eat the things that you have to buy from a shop at a supermarket that comes in a packet that was manufactured in a factory. Mm. It doesn't work. Mm. And the reason why the community is split is because when I first started to investigate this seven years ago, I would say there had been only about five or six years of a lot of you know, official studies, research done. And the medical community is generally slow to take uh, a path towards you know, another option. So what happens was you've got the old guard saying, no, we're sticking to this. You know, studies have shown whether the, study, the efficacy of the studies is good or bad is not relevant. This is what we've done. This is what we're always going to do. We're going to continue to do this. But what seems to be the story now is that the low-carb uh, uh, message, sorry, the low-fat message from the 80s has not seen a decrease in stroke, has not seen a decrease in heart disease, has not seen a decrease in any of the chronic diseases that are killing people, cancer. And now um, the, the new guard is saying, all right, we haven't solved the problem that we had in the 60s and 70s. We've actually made it worse. We need to do something different. And this is what they're finding. Now, the stuff that I'm saying is general. I say it without being an expert, but there is a ton of science to back it up. And one of the things that's really controversial, Joe, is they're talking about stantons that people take for high cholesterol is starting to cause people what they're calling type 3 diabetes, which is dementia, mm. which is Alzheimer's. Mm. And people who have um, high insulin and are a type 2 diabetic who are taking diabetic tablets or insulin to try and control their type 2 diabetes, which is all related to diet, is stage two of the next stage, which is dementia. And what they're finding is that cholesterol-lowering drugs and a combination with somebody that's on um, uh, diabetic tablets, uh, these people are higher risk of having dementia. Mm. So what I said about, to take you back and to round this off, what I said about cholesterol earlier was the brain actually requires cholesterol to operate properly. The blood vessels don't require cholesterol, but it is the body's defense mechanism. And why cholesterol keeps going up is one of two reasons. Either the blood, either the brain's not getting enough to, to access, to use as a source of energy, or the inflammation is continuing to occur because we don't change our diet. So the body sends more and more cholesterol to the blood vessels to protect them more and more and more. And as it does, it's its only defense mechanism and the slowly, slowly the blood vessels close over mm. and people have cholesterol plaques, blocking arteries, mm. causing heart attacks, causing strokes. Mm. Yeah. That is and I've my heard- understanding of a very complex. One of the single biggest factors in ensuring that you continue to remain positive and have a positive outlook on life is to get around other people with that very same mindset as you. People that are going to encourage you, cheer you on and celebrate your wins along your journey. That is the reason why I've created an exclusive group of like-minded people who can be found at the Positive Impact Movement Facebook group. Whether it's a new business venture you have in mind, a side hustle, advice on your morning routine, fitness, mindfulness tactics, 
or even goal setting, this is the place to be to mix with others who have a growth mindset. People that are looking to make a positive impact on themselves and those around them. Check it out, the Positive Impact Movement Facebook group. Yeah, and I've heard, um, and I've heard a, a number of cardiologists say that it's actually, like you say, cholesterol in and of itself is a natural part of your uh, body. It's cholesterol plus inflammation, which is the real problem. So in actual fact, a certain amount of cholesterol is quite normal. It's when you add inflammation to the mix, that's when the issues happen, and which is, like you say, high sugar, high carbs, refined um refined carbohydrate and it's and it's and it's those kind of things but what i've what i've noticed you know when I, on um referring back to uh mark sisson's website there's a number of people are noticing this not through going to their doctor that what they're doing is they're finding out about it educating themselves then they said okay well, what i'll do is i'll try it i'll try it for three months i'll try it for six months and typically what happens and you, and you see uh, anecdotal stories on Mark Sisson's website. Rob, you know, Rob Wolf is another one. But you, you know, there, there'll be people there who have been on like uh, they they will have Crohn's disease or they have diabetes or other chronic diseases, and then over a period of three to six months, you know, they've they've reduced their medication. In some cases, stopped their medication altogether, and and they go along and have have their blood works done, and the doctor says to them, I what have you done? And they say, well, this is what I'm going to follow. I've never seen blood values like this. I don't understand how you've been able to do this. They're stumped yep. because they're just, it's not something that they would see happening. So, um, yeah, I've, I've interviewed Joe. I, and this is the beauty of what I've just said now, because now I'll say the exact opposite. So I've interviewed a guy, Clint Patterson, who has reversed rheumatoid arthritis. In his early 30s, he became. In his early 30s, he had rheumatoid arthritis, couldn't walk, his knees were inflamed, and he reversed it completely, got off all his medication on a diet opposite to what I said. He doesn't do breads and carbs and all that kind of stuff, but he doesn't do high fat and he doesn't do meat. Right? So everyone's different. Everyone needs to consider themselves. Mm. So he's reversed rheumatoid arthritis. I've also interviewed a lady who has reversed multiple sclerosis. The damage in her brain from the multiple sclerosis is still there. The lesions that cause the damage, that hasn't gone away, but it's not getting worse. And she's back to walking, working, all the stuff that she couldn't do off all of her medication. And she's doing something similar to what I described and what Mark Sisson would talk about and what Dr. David Perlmutter will talk about in his book, Grain Brain. Mm-hmm. Um, so everyone's slightly different. We all need to pay attention to what works for us specifically, what condition we're dealing with. And I found that I'm specifically almost allergic to sugar. You might not be, but you might be allergic to something else. And you need to pay attention to how your body changes when you remove something out of your diet and then bring it back in. Mm-hmm. And for me, I know when I bring it in, bring sugar in, I can feel it entering my blood into my brain. Like I can properly feel it, mate. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. So the medical community is, um, is divided because the pharmaceutical companies are starting to get concerned that 
if people don't need cholesterol tablets, if they don't need all this stuff that we've told them they need all this time, like what's going to happen to our bottom line and our profits? Mm. I know it might be a bit cynical, but I think there's a, lot, a little bit of truth to that because all I'm interested in if I'm a pharmaceutical company is increasing my profits for my shareholders, all that kind of stuff. It, it, it isn't a massive stretch for somebody to go, I don't really give a shit what we're selling these people. Just sell them something because we need and tell them that it's doing something because we need to make money. Somebody at some point may have said that. Yeah, I've got no proof of that, and I'm yeah. not. Well, there is a ca- there is a case. I think um, I'll try to link it up in the show notes if I can find it. But there's a case. I think it was in South Africa where a leading doctor kind of challenge made that very challenge, and there was enormous backlash from. I think it was the South African Medical Council, again heavily backed by the pharmaceutical companies, who really kind of hauled this guy over hot coals and i think he i think he had a disciplinary or whatever and he actually won it in the end um but i'll link it up in the show notes because that was quite an interesting kind of picture as to as to how that kind of plays out in practice sort of thing so uh, um but bill in terms of um the other thing that kind of polarizes a little bit is is the argument between cardio and strength as well I mean, I'm moving kind of swiftly on here, but that is another kind of do I, don't I kind of situation, the same as kind of diet seems to be. And again, there seems to be a mixed, if you were to follow the kind of um, uh, kind of uh, conventional uh, wisdom, it's kind of low intensity uh, cardio um, below kind of 75% of your maximum heart rate. So you're predominantly burning fat rather than carbs and sugars. So you're burning kind of clean fuel. That seems to be, again, some um, conventional wisdom that's kind of being challenged rather than going out and doing cardio, which is kind of in that kind of dead zone between very hard and and, and easy where you're just, you're just being a carb burning beast, basically, and a lot of inflammation again. So... Uh, so my uh, exercise routine is no no longer strenuous or vigorous or anything like that. Most of the stuff that we hear about with regards to exercise is for you know to achieve a goal of weight loss or fitness or these measures that people are aspiring to. I'm not sure why. So for me, uh, I'm not aspiring to do anything other than uh, just have some overall good. Uh, circulation, um, some good movement because my body really needs movement. So um, I think the the 30 minutes of just quick walking a day is good enough for assisting you to retain your, um, your fitness, to get your lymph fluid moving, your blood flowing, your muscles working and all that type of thing. So I don't think that you need to do vigorous training unless you have a specific uh, goal that you need to achieve that's related to you know, exercise and strenuous lifting or anything like that. But one of the most important things that I think is so very, um, very few people understand what the benefit of weight lifting is and what it is, uh, which is beautiful, is that if you do low-level low weight training, uh, what you're doing is you're removing sugars and excess um, carbs out of your bloodstream into 
the muscles and it's being burnt. Mm. That's, that's the whole mechanism of insulin entering, uh, being released by the pancreas to deal with carbs in the blood is to send it to the muscles so that it can be used. And because we're so sedentary and because we are not um, facing these uh, fight or flight movements, you know, like we did in the old days where we had to run away from something or whatever, we just store this excess energy and it starts to become inflammatory fat. Mm. So by going to the gym and pushing low amounts of weight, you're actually taking excess uh, carb energy out of your body mm. and it's being burnt by your muscles. Mm. So what I love to do and suggest is um, light walking, 30 minutes a day if you can. Um, if you can't every day, then ramp it up on the weekend, do an hour on the weekend each day and, uh, and that's really good. And also uh, go to the gym and push some weights that are not difficult for you to lift over your head, for example, that are on machines that are, you know, structured so that they're doing the movement for you, but you're, all you're doing is getting the resistance part. Mm -hmm. And that's probably the best way to describe it. Do some resistance weight training. Yeah. And that is really helpful for body or the rest of it. But for me, I think it's just only one small part of the whole thing, which for me, the whole thing is the nutritional side. It's what's, what we put in first. And then the exercise and the, um, and the physical exertion, you know, second for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, builds, that builds a whole picture, picture kind of together. Um, in terms of kind of, we've touched upon kind of dietary, uh, diet, this kind of dietary ideas that there are going around and also exercise. What about the sort of lifestyle kind of, changes did you have to did you find that you had to kind of make some sort of firm lifestyle changes and actually put yourself first so to speak rather than kind of putting yourself at the mercy of your business in some respect yeah and that's really important right so one of the things i did was decrease the number of people that i worked for and the kind of clients that i worked for if they didn't pay the amount of money that i wanted to earn per day, I wouldn't work for them. And, and I wasn't ridiculous. I had to be competitive. But basically, I sacked a lot of my clients, the ones that were hard work and not a lot of reward, uh, which meant that I now get paid more to do less. And then that averages out to be similar to what I was doing, what I was earning beforehand. Mm. So that, that works well. Now, um, working on the tools and doing all that kind of stuff is not for me. I don't enjoy it anymore. Connecting to my heart, I realize, okay, you know, it was good for the time it achieved its goal. Mm-hmm. So now my, my, new, uh, my new focus and my evolution is to find a way to make a living without having to actually go to work every day. And now I'm trying to do that via the podcast that I have, mm-hmm. you know, recoveryafterstroke.com. And we are we need to be more flexible, similar to the doctors who are sticking to these routines that happened in the past about how to treat a certain illness and now resisting you know, what new science, new research is showing. I don't want to be that same kind of guy in my own world. So, yeah, one way of making money is going to work, you know, painting people's homes, fixing walls and all that kind of stuff. 
well, another way is to potentially do that online and find a way to minimize my hour travel every morning and my hour travel every, every, every night home. So I'm learning now about, you know, how to create times in the day where I can rest, mm-hmm. sleep if I have to, meditate, which is really important uh, to help, you know, decrease the stress levels and to balance and to calm. Um, go to yoga, you know, grow some veggies in the garden. And when I I get home from work, I actually get to see that they are there Mm. because right now, you know, if I get home at work, from work in in the winter, by the time I get home, it's dark. I can't Mm. spend time in my garden. Um, You know, so there's definitely been a shift now, a focus on, okay, how do I be more efficient with my time so that I can squeeze in more things that I love? Mm -hmm. And, And if you think you can't do it, if you're listening and you think you can't do it, it's too hard. That's not true because there is somebody already on the planet doing it. And if there is somebody already on the planet working from home and being on the internet, selling stuff, talking about podcasts, whatever, um, then there's no reason why you can't do it. You're just getting in your own way. So I don't want to get in my own way. Mm -hmm. And this is what I'm starting to do now is starting to create a new version of not only myself, but also what's happening around me and one that's more supportive and suited to you know my lifestyle and the life you want to ultimately lead and the life you want for your family as well so yeah yeah, yeah. well imagine if I, if I got sick doing what i was doing in the past i can't keep doing that it's no. not gonna end well no 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 because it becomes a means to an end quite literally then doesn't it so yeah 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 cycling back to the actual um the actual stroke a lot of the listeners um, some of the people that are listening will have had experience of a stroke themselves or they will have a relative or a friend or someone close to them that may have suffered from a stroke. Some of the listeners um, will be in a position where they've yet to encounter a relative or uh, themselves having a stroke. Um, so if you suspect someone is having a stroke, what are, you know, I know there is some kind of, there is a different codes depending on whereabouts you are in the world. I think it's face, arms. I should know this. Speech. <laughs> Speech. Time. Time. That's it. Fast, yeah. isn't it? Fast. It's the yeah. same. It's the same acronym in in Australia as it is in the in the UK. I guess, and is it so? Okay. Yeah, it's it's the worldwide acronym. It's um, one that was developed in conjunction with the World Stroke Organization. Okay. So, Face stand, uh, F stands for face. Face basically means that sometimes people having a stroke, you'll notice a droop on one side of their face, uh-huh. but also uh, their or, or their eye or their lip could be subtle. Um, the symmetry might go out a little bit. Um, another way to test uh, that's related to the face is to ask them to poke their tongue out. Mm-hmm. If they can't poke their tongue out or, or when they do, if it goes to one side, something's not right neurologically. Mm-hmm. So definitely face. Then um, arm is you ask them to raise your raise their arm, bring it to their nose, squeeze your arm, mm-hmm. and compare it to the other side. And if they can lift their arm and bring it to their nose, but one of the arms is squeezing a lot harder than the other one, or one of them can't grasp or squeeze onto anything, 
and could be something wrong. Um, speech often changes for some people who, who have uh, stroke occurring. They might be able to finish words. Uh, they might be able to talk but slur their words. Uh, they might not be able to make a sentence. They may start talking in gibberish or mm-hmm. something that we don't understand. Um, and they may not also understand what you're saying. They might not actually be able to con- uh, uh, work out what you've said to them rather than they might be able to respond but not process speech. Okay. Um, and time is stroke kills something like about like uh, uh, some strokes can kill up to like uh, the size of a pea, a, a, part, a part of the brain the size of a pea every 10 minutes or something like that. So time is of the is the most important thing. Get that person to an emergency uh, room immediately. Don't let them convince you that there's nothing wrong, that they'll be right. Call an ambulance. Um, do whatever you have to do to get them checked out. Mm. And the quicker they get to hospital, the good thing about that is is that if it's a clot or or caused by a blockage, which is an ischemic stroke, they can actually um, help that blockage to clear with some amazing uh, drugs these days. A lot of people uh, will have this. They'll remove the clot and they'll suffer very little symptoms and very little neurological challenges. So time is of the essence. With regards to uh, a hemorrhage, which you you won't know, they can can support that person with... uh, either releasing the pressure in the brain or they can support that person with decreasing their blood pressure, etc. So people should know their blood pressure. If they have high blood pressure, get it checked out, stay on top of it. Um, and people should uh, just pay attention to the subtle differences and trust their gut instinct. If they feel something is not right, it probably you know, is correct. Mm-hmm. So try again, trust the, uh, trust the gut. And if your husband or wife is saying, I'm okay. I'm. Be, you know, I don't need to go to the doctor. Then you do what you have to do to get them in that car and down to the uh, hospital as soon as possible. Okay. Yeah. Or ring. Or ring the ambulance. Yeah. In terms of, um, you know, I touched upon her. You know, the hereditary aspect of it. Um, it, in my family, three of my grandparents had uh, strokes. Um, uh, two of them succumbed quite quickly after their strokes in their you know in their old later years sort of thing um if you have a family history is there certain steps that you should that you should probably be taking or certainly certain things that you should be looking at or be mindful of in terms of your i mean we've obviously touched upon lifestyle diet and fitness but whether whether it's a good idea to get any kind of um blood test done or anything like that along just to kind of see where you're at so to speak because um one of the frustrating things i found is that kind of when you're when a relative passes away they don't you don't really get much medical history from your parents or your grandparents side and it seems to be a kind of flaw really in the system as far as i would say because you know i don't want to see my parents full medical history in terms of what everything they went to the doctor to ever have treated but it would be useful in terms of kind of chronic 
disease, I think, to have a, at least have an idea as to what went wrong with grandparents and parents, so to speak. Um, yeah, it's interesting. You know, the privacy laws probably prevent doctors from giving yeah that medical history to next of kin. So that's a really interesting conversation that you could probably have with your doctor worth asking. And um, I get asked this question a lot about, oh, you know, stroke hereditary and all that kind of stuff. So I, I have this really dramatic answer, and I don't mean to be rude, but stupidity is hereditary. Mm. And 85% of strokes are preventable. And that's why my comment of stupidity is, um, is hereditary makes sense in context. And the reason being is because if your dad, your granddad, you know, your uncle, your great uncle all had a stroke, and let's say they were all smoked, and they all worked themselves, you know, to the ground and they all did all this stuff and you're doing the same thing. Well, it's likely that your body type is going to respond to all those types of stresses in the same way. And what you want to do is you want to pay attention to more, more so what they were like as human beings, how they went about their day, which habits they had, and you want to do the opposite of what they did and you want to find a way to support your body and your brain for longevity because what they did obviously wasn't for longevity especially if they passed young mm -hmm. and that's the message that I'm trying to now pass on to my kids who are 18 and 22 and it's like it took me only 40 years, only 37 years to get my body to the point where it almost had enough. And, and if it wasn't for modern medicine, I'd be dead 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. So if it only takes 40 years and you're 20, what you need to do is you need to start shifting away from the habits and behaviors that we all did as teens and kids, etc but then forgot to let go of when we went into adulthood and became, you know, 35 and 40. Mm -hmm. And you need to start noticing how cigarettes impact you negatively because I was a smoker. How, you know, drinking excessively impacts you negatively. How eating, you know, sugars and all that kind of stuff impacts you negatively. You need to start noticing that in your body. And you need to take steps now because um, food is medicine and medicine is food. Mm -hmm. We're, we're, what we eat can support us better and what we eat can not support us. So if you're considering, you know, what you're going to do going forward, I would seriously start the process of blood tests and all that kind of stuff regularly. So once every three months or every six months, so you can notice changes. So you can pay attention to if you've done something different, how your bloods have changed your blood pressure has changed and all that stuff's changed. So you can monitor, so you can have a picture of, okay, how I am actually physically impacting my body for the better or for the worse. And then you can make a decision. If you want to be around to grow old with your wife, your partner, your kids, see your kids, your grandkids, all that kind of stuff, or do what you can. All the rest is up to the gods. And I have no idea what's around the corner for me, but, in case I live to 90, I want that 90 to be a very good 90. Mm. One where I'm still going out 
you know, with my friends and still attending shows and still enjoying my life. Not a 90 that's where I'm incapacitated and, you know, can't walk and can't move and it's, you know, not worth being around. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the thing is, is there is that element of, oh, that's all right. We always did it that way. We always, oh, we always ate all that stuff. That's all right. Until you kind of drill down onto it and you kind of like, um, I'm noticing more and more. I mean, I'm 40 in a few days' time. And and what I'm noticing more and more is I think that our kind of generation, if you like, we are the children of what I would call the baby boomer generation, you know, after the kind of, after the Second World War, where, you know, there was a period of quite affluence and a lot of the baby boomers kind of, they lived it up. It was the good times, smoking, drinking, eating whatever they wanted, leading very sedentary lifestyles and stuff and that. And I think the thing is, is that our, when I speak to my friends, a lot of us have grown up with that. We've grown up with, not saying that we've seen our parents drunk all the time, but, and there's, and I'm not in any way, shape or form condemning that. But what I'm saying is, is I think a lot of us have grown up seeing health habits and ways of living, which aren't that great. But the problem is, is that it's, it set an example to us as and trying to break that kind of break that chain, so to speak, um, is kind of easier said than is easier said than done until you have a situation like you've had or like other people have had without actually they are forced to look very closely at, at themselves and think, actually, is what I've been told um that oh yes, yeah, okay to do this and it's okay to do that and whatever. That's just a myth. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It's a myth. When I was researching very early on, and I, I, I never kept this link or this particular study, I came across a study about the Great Depression and the First World War. And the, uh, the Great Depression saw a massive spike in the, uh, the age that people lived to. Now, massive, I think it was around 10% increase in the age that people were living to. Now, back then, the average age was around 50 to 55 for mm-hmm. males and females. So, um, you're in the Great Depression. You've got no money to buy tobacco, alcohol, uh, party too hard, excess foods, this, that, and whatever. So, very loosely you can potentially associate, you know, this lack of affluence to greater well-being because affluence is stuff that we don't need. It's stuff that we acquire or we use or we take because we can mm-hmm. and because we think that's a good idea at the time or somebody's selling it to us. But this idea of affluence being a great thing for you to aspire to is actually not necessarily in my opinion, in that I would rather use that affluence for experiences rather than for uh, having the best caviar or the best. This or the best that. The phone ring. That's okay. All right. So we're back. I can so, hear you. I can hear you now. Okay, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, the phone ring. 
I can edit. Um, I can edit that a bit uh, out, don't worry. Yeah, cool. And the other thing about um, and the other th- and, and the other thing that I found when I was researching was that there was a increase in the lifespan of cows when their farmers fed them less around the same time. So um, I look at all these things and I think about how much I eat now compared to how much I ate before. Mm. And I still might eat three or four or five times a day, but the portions are a lot, a lot smaller. Mm. You know, they're, 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 they're less stodgy and filling types of foods. They're just really lovely food that I enjoy eating, a little bit of meat, a bit of veggies, a bit of uh, this, a bit of cheese, a bit of tomatoes, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I just feel leaner, healthier, what have you. I'm kind of eating like not a peasant's diet, but more of a, a portion that would be fitting somebody who wasn't affluent, so to speak, or mm-hmm. wasn't gorging or wasn't going all out to get volume. Yeah. Or just going out to get quality. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 It's interesting. It's it's interesting the journey that people go on once you kind of delve into it and you sort of begin to begin to challenge your sort of perceived notion of what is what is gospel and what isn't. So uh yeah. Bill, I think we've covered an enormous amount of mileage here this evening. I, I I've like I said to you a little bit earlier on, I may well split this uh, our discussion in two and do as a two-parter so um which will be a first for me but i didn't want to it's a subject that i didn't want to um cut short and not kind of do it justice so to speak because there is an enormous amount to go through but an enormous amount of value to be had from the information for people that are listening to this you know whatever um whatever stage of life they're at and whatever kind of chronic illness they may be concerned about be it stroke or diabetes or we've touched upon others like Crohn's and stuff during this during this interview and stuff and that so I really appreciate you coming on the show today and I really appreciate um you sharing your story with me it's it's a remarkable story and I think you're a very inspirational character that you are what you've gone through and been able to give back to the world and give back to the stroke community in the way you have because it's people like you that the world needs in order to you know in order to educate and in order to inspire because not only are you educating you also you know a very inspirational character as well so joe i really appreciate it man i, re- I really appreciate that you are embarking on this journey as well and you're making it possible for me to share my story because that makes me feel good and i know it does po- positively impact other people because they tell me that it does and when I hear from them, it positively impacts me. So for you to reach out, you know, it just makes it all worth it, man. I really do appreciate it as well. And um, keep doing what you're doing because, um, you know, we, we now have this opportunity from our homes to impact people like we never did before, you know, and um, people need to hear all versions of stories, not just the ones that are edited and produced, you know, to the nth degree that are available via our radio stations or our TV channels, man. So, you know what? I love what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to ask you one more question, which I ask all of the guests on my show. And that question is, who is the person or persons that has had the greatest impact on you throughout your life and why? Wow. 
there's um, so many, um, but more recently, uh, I'm going to have to probably answer a little bit differently than most people. Me, I am the biggest influence on my life in the last seven years than anybody else. Sure, I have been, I've sought out and support and requested the support of many, many people, but actually I've grown up and I've, and I've created, you know, the environment around me to help me recover for the first time ever. I am my biggest ally and my biggest supporter. So, you know what? 100% it's me. Excellent. That is the first time I've ever heard someone to, someone say that. But what I love is the way you say it with such an element of grace and humility and journey, Dim, from the journey you've been on. It is fantastic. I appreciate you, Bill. Thank you very much for joining me today. And, well, as, I, as you are from the land down under, there's only one thing that I can say to you, and that is good day. Good day, mate. Take care. See ya. I really wanted to ask Bill about diet, and the reason is this. So much low-carb and healthy eating is dismissed as fad and trendy but not for Bill and many others, diet is very much more than that. Not just from a recovery perspective, but for longevity over the long haul. Bill painted a clear picture of what goes on under the bonnet of the human body and why the medical community is hanging on so tightly to the low fat advice of the 80s, despite soaring rates of chronic disease in 2019. The lifestyle and health advice that we discussed really does give a great blueprint to those with a history of heart disease in their family, like me. And while looking back at your grandparents and parents will give you some clues in how you should be living your life. Bill's statement that stupidity is hereditary with 85% of strokes being preventable really hits home and comes back to the same old thing. We all know deep, deep down what we should be doing and the changes we should be making. We just don't make those changes until it can be tragically far too late. My conversation with Bill was both inspiration, inspirational and fascinating. He is a very positive character, but what shines through is the fact that he has become such a student of the human body and sought out experts at the cutting edge of this field of research to back up his claims and help put him on the road to recovery himself. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Bill and make sure you connect with me and Bill. You can contact him via his website www.recoveryafterstroke.com and you can also link up with him on Instagram and Facebook. I want to say a big thank you for supporting Positive Impact, listening to the show and being part of this movement. We're now 11 episodes in, actually 12 episodes if you include this being a two-parter, and I'm uplifted by the support I've had from all of you that listen each week. Conversations such as this one really do have the potential to change lives as they tackle such difficult subjects that are often not discussed elsewhere. 
I'm genuinely motivated and fired up by you to do what I'm doing here. What I do here gives me so much meaning knowing that if one of you just takes one piece of information away that changes your life, I will have made a difference. If you like what I'm doing, please go out and share my message. Share this podcast, leave a rating and review and reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram using the hashtag improve yourself, inspire others. It's so important that you leave a rating and review if you like what I'm doing here as it means more people find our podcast and benefit from the information we uncover with guests. As we've discovered during this particular episode, some of the information really could be life-saving. I want to shout out to my listeners in USA, UK, Canada, Singapore, India, Australia, Italy and Israel. Thank you for listening from all over the world. Most of all, please subscribe to the show as it means those good people over at iTunes push the show up the rankings. I love to hear from my listeners wherever you are in the world. So ping me an email if you like, joe at positive-impact-movement.com and rest assured I respond to all emails I get from listeners. Until next time, go out into the world, make a positive impact on yourself and others and most of all, improve yourself, inspire others. Thanks for listening to the Positive Impact Podcast. Improve yourself, inspire others. To get involved, check us out at www.positive-impact-movement.com.